Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 133 called Becky. Today's episode is sponsored by Vios Fertility Institute. You guys, I've had the pleasure of working with Vios for Fertility Rally, and I cannot say enough good things about how much Vios gets it when it comes to infertility, fertility, and the patient experience. Vios is built on a foundation of patient-centered care, evidence-based medicine, and innovative technology. They have clinic locations throughout the country and patients from around the globe. And as a patient, you'll notice a difference from your very first phone call to the team celebration of your positive pregnancy test and everything in between. Bios physicians are board certified and fellowship trained reproductive endocrinologists and infertility specialists. Many of them have also experienced fertility treatment or a struggle to build their own family firsthand. The Bios Fertility Institute team works to create an individualized plan best suited for a patient's emotional, physical, and financial needs. I got to know Vios first through their social media handle, and I'm super impressed by their commitment to the fertility community overall. Through Instagram, Facebook, their blog, and other social media, they offer great resources and credible fertility education. Check them out in all the social places at Vios Fertility, and check out the blog on their website, viosfertility.com. To learn more about Vios, to take advantage of that education and fertility information, or to schedule your first appointment, visit viosfertility.com. That's V-I-O-S-F-E-R-T-I-L-I-T-Y.com. Thanks, Vios. Today's episode is brought to you by Belly, prenatal vitamins that help get your body the healthiest it can be to welcome a new little life. Belly's vitamins are formulated to optimize fertility and prenatal health for men and women through all stages of pregnancy, from conception through to post-pregnancy. Belly's revolutionary science-based formulation fuels your fertility to help support egg quality, promote hormonal balance, and increase your overall fertility health. Belly for men prenatals are specially formulated with clinically proven nutrients optimized to help increase sperm count, help improve sperm morphology and motility, and boost overall fertility. To get started with Belly, go to bellybaby.com and use code ALLY15 for 15% off your first month of either Belly Women or Belly Men. Again, it's bellybaby, B-E-L-I-B-A-B-Y.com and use code ALLY15, A-L-I-15 for 15% off. Thanks, Belly. Hey guys, I'm so excited for you to listen to my conversation with Becky Fawcett today. Becky is a mama of two through adoption. She is an infertility warrior. She is a three-time miscarriage survivor, and she is the founder of Help Us Adopt, helpusadopt.org, which gives grants to people who are building their families through adoption. It's an amazing organization you're going to hear all about. One thing I love that Becky will talk about is that she's like, I don't care what your situation is. I don't care what your religion is. I don't care if you're single, if you're married. All I care about is that you want to adopt a baby and her organization helps people financially do that. So get ready for this no bullshit convo. She's incredible. We're going to talk about adoption and infertility and loss and miscarriage and all the things. So without further ado, this is Becky's infertility story. Becky, it's so good to talk to you. Allison, I'm so grateful to be with you today. Thank you so much. So I want to kind of give the overview of what we're going to talk about. We're obviously going to get into your fertility and infertility journey, but I think one of the important things that you wanted to stress and I want to share too, is just kind of what, what do you do if IVF doesn't work out? You know, what roads can you go down and how can you keep your options open? So let's start at the beginning with you. Did you always want to have kids? Yeah. I'm the oldest of five. And, you know, I, while all my friends were waitressing and, you know, working in a shop as teenagers, I was babysitting. Mm -hmm. It's really ironic. Like I was babysitting. I just figured that was a better route to make money. I liked being around kids. I always liked people that way. So, you know, I, 
used to laugh that I didn't have a social life growing up because I was always babysitting to fuel my clothes habit. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Even as a teenager, I had a clothes habit. And then, you know, but it wasn't like I had to have babies early. Like that was never because being the oldest of five, I knew what was involved. You know, I, I really do feel like I played a part in raising some of my younger siblings and maybe my youngest sister would still feel today that I am part mother to her. What's the age difference you know, between you and your 20 siblings? years, Okay, 20 years between the bookend girls and mm-hmm. then three boys in the middle. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it really was fun. And so when I got married, I got married early. I was 26 when mm-hmm. I got married, which by these days is early, early. Yeah, um, I was 27 and it didn't seem young at the time, but today it does seem young. Today, I think I was like the last person to get married. And then all my friends got married in their 30s. Mm-hmm. It was really weird. But anyway, I didn't want to have a baby right away because I knew that I had to be prepared. At least in, for me, I felt that I had to be prepared to give up my career mm-hmm. because you never know what your child is going to need. And you never know if you're not going to want to work afterwards. So I really got to a point where I felt I was ready. My husband was ready. We'd traveled enough. We had, I had my career and I felt I could give it all up if that was what was needed of me after becoming a mother. So at the ripe old age of 31, we started trying. Mm -hmm. Well, that was who knows, right? Who knows if that was too late? Who knows if it wouldn't have worked earlier? I'll never know. Mm-hmm. It's sort of one of the gifts that keeps on giving from infertility. But at this point in my life, that part doesn't matter. But it did matter back then. You know, you just second guess all your decisions. Mm-hmm. The long story short is that we tried for a year and a half, went to an infertility doctor, were basically told no clue, cl- what is it? Uh, Clomid is that the the drug that you can do with IOUI? Like yes. none of that stuff. None of that stuff. You were going straight to IVF, and I like almost died. Okay, so tell me, just, let's backtrack just a little bit. What was going on in that year and a half? Were you not getting pregnant, or you were and I didn't get losses? No, no, didn't pregnancy. get pregnant. Okay, didn't get pregnant. So why did um, they want you to skip IUI and go right to IVF? Uh, because we had male infertility once gotcha. the testing was done. Okay. Okay. So we had male infertility that was easy. And then, you know, no one knew with me what was really going on. So we went straight to IVF and ICSI and I got pregnant on the first round. And I tell this story. I know it doesn't make me look very good, but I am honest and transparent. And I know I'm not alone. I got pregnant on that first round of IVF. And I thought to myself, as I sat in that office, I dodged a bullet. Mm. I dodged a bullet. Mm-hmm. And then I had a miscarriage at 16 weeks. Oh, sorry. Everybody knew. As a publicist, I owned my own company. I used to be director of marketing for Philadelphia Magazine. So like my Rolodex, and that's like a dated term, mm-hmm. but my Rolodex, <laughs> like I sent out like 600 emails and couldn't even cover ground. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. About your awful. loss? Yeah, because I was 16 weeks pregnant. I told the world. Yeah. And news traveled. I mean, it's terrible to say, but like everybody was like, well, you've been married for five years. Like we were wondering when you were going to have a baby, blah, 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 blah. So the world knew. Everybody knew. And so, you know, you go into the next round. It didn't work. Round three did work. And I thought, thank God. And then it didn't work at 12 weeks at another miscarriage. And then for round four, uh, my husband made me promise at that point that this was the last round. Okay. He he made me promise that if it didn't work, we would move to adoption because he was done. He hated it. Okay. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? What was going on with your relationship and how is he? Yeah. I mean, he he just hate, he honestly, you know, it's very interesting is, you know, most people that you talk to who are in a partnership or a marriage who are going through infertility, who then consider adoption. It's always, it's always the husband that doesn't want to adopt. Right. Mm. It is, I mean, I hate to say that, but it's always the husband. And in my case, it was me. I wasn't there yet. And my husband was like, I, I just don't care if it's our biology. I cannot give you more shots. I cannot watch you be in pain. Mm-hmm. I cannot walk into our bathroom and see these boxes of needles and vial. Like, I can't do this anymore. And he hated it. And so I made the promise 
I did go back on my word a little bit and that's part of the story, but we, for the fourth round went to acupuncture, both of us. And what happened was that for the first time ever, they got enough eggs from me to do a frozen cycle to freeze some. Okay. So we did round four. We signed anybody who's listening, who's frozen a cycle. You have to sign like the declaration of independence pretty much um, (laughs) as to like what you're going to do in every like worst case scenario on the planet with those frozen embryos. Um, We did that and we did round four and it didn't work. And so my husband was like, great, we're going to adopt. I'm like, well, not so fast. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what do we do? I, I, we have a caveat here, right? We have an exception to the rule. So because a frozen cycle is so much easier, gentler, and, and cheaper, um, we did the fifth cycle with the promise that if that didn't work, I'm like, okay, now, now I'll be done. And it did work. And on Christmas Eve, 2004, I had my third and final miscarriage. Oh, so sorry. Um, how, how was it the third time compared to the other two? You know, it was, I mean, no one in their right mind should go through three miscarriages, much less pay $82,000 to go through them. You know, I mean, it's just all the treatments combined and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. $82,000 is what we spent on the five cycles. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not, it wasn't so much. It's funny. No one's asked me that question before. It wasn't so much that I was crying over the miscarriage. I was crying over the chapter in my life. Mm -hmm. I was crying because it generally speaking was not the path that I had thought I was going to take. And I had to close, you know, I've, I've said in interviews, it was the death of a dream. Yeah. And I know that sounds dramatic, but to anybody who's gone through this, it's the death of a dream. Our yeah. society raises us with this narrative that, all, first of all, has to change because the narrative, I mean, I'm 50, almost 51. So I was born in 1970. So the mm-hmm. narrative then had been, you're going to grow up, little girl. You're going to meet Prince Charming. You're going to get married. And you're going to get pregnant and have a baby. I mean, they even said it, I think, in our wedding vows, the minister said it. Like, mm-hmm. it's everywhere, that narrative. Oh, my little baby just barked for you. Oh, that's okay. Um, We've always have dogs in the background. Yeah, my other little baby. And so, you know, first of all, the narrative has to change because it's not just a girl meets boy story anymore. You know, anybody can be a family. It's one of the Mm -hmm. things we promote so much at Mm helpusadopt.org. And women and men can do this on their own. Right. So, you know, this whole narrative of who you need to marry, like it all has to change. That's a different podcast. Right. Um, but I think it's so important that you talk about the death of a dream. I don't think it's dramatic. I think anybody who's listening to this can relate to that. We're programmed, because, Allison. We're programmed yeah. since we are kids. Right. And, you know, then you feel, you know, I grew up, you know, in a place where everybody was the same and everybody did the same thing and people didn't march to their own drum. And if you marched to your own drum, you were weird. And here I found myself in my early thirties marching to a really different drum Mm -hmm. and I hated it at first. Now I I am like, what, where, how, how can I be weird? How can I take a different (laughs) path? And that's how I'm raising my kids. Like you don't want to be like everybody else. Yeah. It's so boring. Yeah. Have You know, again, like, I know that some people aren't as outspoken as I am. I know that I have a big personality. I know that, you know, I have friends who are like, oh my God, I like to be under the radar. Well, that's fine too, Mm -hmm. but do your own thing, right? Like we're all, you don't have to follow the same path. I have friends who've chosen not to have children, not because of infertility, but even before that just Mm -hmm. decided. And back, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, probably even today, actually, who are we kidding? That gets weird looks from people. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the bravest things to say out loud. Yeah, I agree. You know, I'm just not cut out for motherhood, right? I'm not going to do it. And I found I'm either going alone or I found a partner who feels the same way. And I love to be an aunt and he loves to be an uncle, but we're not having a baby of our own. And I think that is a very brave courageous thing to say. And I applaud my friends. And those friends of mine have supported my work at Help Us Adopt 
since the beginning because mm-hmm. they're still part of a family, right? And that's what we're trying to talk about. We're trying to change this narrative of what is a family right? and how does a family form? Right. It doesn't so, just form from the belly. Exactly. There's so many different ways to do it nowadays, obviously. So tell, let's go back to your story. So what happened? So you had done the final transfer. So then, we did the final transfer. Christmas pretty much sucked. Um, yeah. What you know, did you do? Everybody... In terms of like support, you know, back. Oh, I did nothing. No one wanted to talk about this. There weren't really a support groups back. Mm -hmm. You know, my oldest is 15. So this was, you know, 16, 17, 18 years ago, I was going through this. Like, you know, I think the support groups that were offered to me were like, you know, a 3 a.m. in a church basement. So no one saw you coming and leaving type thing. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. not doing that. You know, I was like, and also I'm a pretty hardwired girl that I can do a lot of stuff on my own. Mm -hmm. It's not always the best choice. I will admit that, but I can do it. Um, (laughs) What about friends and and family? You know, it's usually, my husband's actually here today, so he he can hear me say this, but usually if someone were to like look into our relationship, they would say that I'm the strong one and that I propel us forward. And which may or may not be true. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) I say laughing. But during these infertility years, he was a strong one. He held me upright. He just kept going. And I think he was equally sad. But for some reason, he just believed in adoption before I did. Okay. He saw beyond the biology before I did. Okay. And I don't know what made him do that, except that he's a pretty terrific person. It didn't matter. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. It was very, very interesting when you take a look at it all. But it was, you know, I, I was just on a relationship podcast a few weeks ago. And, you know, they I was like, why is this divorce attorney asking me to be on a relationship podcast? And the answer was so many people break up over this childbearing issue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and he wanted to know why we didn't. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just... I don't know why some people do and some people don't. I think it was just our commitment to each other and this family. And we were both on the same page eventually Mm -hmm. within a couple months of each other. So I think if it had been a different story and like years of not being on the same page, then that would have been different. Well, you know, I've talked a lot about, about my relationship with my husband before going through this and, you know, we got to a really low place and we weren't sure if we were going to make it through either but I always say, you know, marriage is a decision and it doesn't just happen. You have to make a decision. And we made a decision that we wanted to make it work, even though it was so hard. So, and I mean, I didn't marry him to have a baby with him. That was sort of what was going to happen along the road. Right. Right. I married him to be with him. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So So when did you guys start talking like in earnest about the adoption route? So, I am a girl who always likes to know what's happening next. Um, I'm an entrepreneur by nature. And so I'm always looking, you know, I'm always looking ahead. I I don't like surprises. I always need to start planning like six months out and to see what's going on. So I'm prepared. And so honestly, before the last cycle, I really didn't have, let's be honest, I wasn't being negative. I didn't have a lot of reason to believe that last cycle was going to work. Mm-hmm. because even though all my issues were unidentified, it's very clear that my body did not want to hold a pregnancy mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Okay. Which as it turns out in life was probably the greatest thing that ever happened to me, but mm-hmm. that's, we'll get to that later. So before the third one, I just started doing my homework on adoption attorneys and my dad was very helpful. His best friend from growing up is a lawyer and you know, I was like, would you please, you know, reach out to Albert and see if he knows of anybody? Because again, no one wanted to talk about this. Mm-hmm. And the few people who I did know who adopted, they just weren't helpful. They weren't okay. helpful. It and was just really Why do you think they weren't? Because no one wants to talk about this because it's around infertility and it's around sex and it's around your body not working and failure and all these things. And then people pretending these babies came out of their body, which they did not. We can get to talk to that. I mean, that's a fact. Um, (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's not rude. It's not mean for me to say that about my children. It's a fact. They mm-hmm. did not come out of my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and people like to pretend that life goes on. Nothing happened here. Nothing to see. Gotcha. And so that was not helpful to me. So it's funny, you know, I watch, I go back now and I see all the progressions that like put me in this place to be this fierce advocate for other people going through infertility and adoption and mm-hmm. children. And that was one of them. I mean, I just decided that the minute those babies were in my arms, I was going to tell them they were adopted. This was going to become a very loud vocal piece of our story. I had no idea I was going to create Help Us Adopt at the time. I was still a publicist. That is what I thought my life was going to be. Mm-hmm. And But I was like, I'm going to talk about this a lot because Mm -hmm. this is crap. And I am going to help the people in line behind me. Right. That was sort of my mission. So we got three adoption attorney referrals. One was horrific. He was so gross. And I I can't even tell you how awful the meeting was. And we both left. And I was like, well, I would rather be childless than work with in that what man. way what happened oh he was just gross i'm gonna leave it at that is that he was indicted by the fbi a few years ago okay um no one should have been referring this man out and i just had that heebie-jeebie feeling the minute we met him mm. okay very awful person one guy was too busy to take us told us we could wait six weeks for a consultation mm-hmm. and then the third guy it was like goldilocks right <laughs> i mean the third guy Oh my God. He was just wonderful. Like within five minutes of sitting there, I was like, oh, someone's going to take care of me. And we walked, we left the meeting. We walked out to the car. We looked at each other. We're like, what are we waiting for? We went back in, we signed the papers and gave him a check. Okay. So that was just a beautiful, beautiful thing to come Uh across him. And And what were the um, next steps for you guys? Well, then there's like mountains of paperwork Mm -hmm. um, that's like a full-time job. Mm -hmm. And then you find a birth, you make a profile book. Now it's a little different. A lot of it's online. Sometimes there's still profile books. Uh, Sometimes you do both. Mm -hmm. Um, We did not do anything online back then. Right. It wasn't a thing. Mm -hmm. And then you wait to be matched with a birth mother. You wait for a birth mother to pick you. And we were picked, um, we had, let's say, we were picked twice and then those didn't really work out very quickly, um, but it was still disappointing. Mm-hmm. And then- Can you say what um, happened or no? So the first one was a woman who was unexpectedly pregnant, who was, believe it or not, in her 40s, mm-hmm. which is not what people think birth mother-wise. So- mm-hmm. I'm just here to tell you that whatever you think the stereotypical birth mother is, please etch a sketch your brain and forget (laughs) that stereotype because there is not a typical birth mother out Mm -hmm. there. Right. So she, we had a phone call with her. She loved us. And she said she was going to place the baby because she was actually had grown children at 40, as you can imagine. And Mm -hmm. she's like, I'm with a man who I love, who I want to spend my life with, but there's no way he's going to want to have a baby. Mm -hmm. And we were like, all right, well, that sounds reasonable. And so part of the deal when there is an identified birth father is that the birth father has to know, right? Everybody has to know. Adoption needs to be transparent. Mm -hmm. And so with this specific situation, when she told him that she was pregnant and going to place the baby, he got down on one knee and proposed. I mean, is that the greatest thing ever? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So here I am trying to be like sad, but I couldn't really be sad because I was so happy for this lady. Gotcha. (laughs) Right. I mean, it was a very strange situation. The second one that fell apart, she was, there was a glitch that she wasn't upfront about. And Mm. we made the decision to um, not pursue it. Okay. Um, And that, you know, honestly, maybe we could have, of course, this was not my story, but the bottom line was this. We really felt as did our attorney that if she wasn't upfront about this, what else wasn't she upfront about? Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Right. So the third time, this is what happened. I had one of the days where I lost my shit. Mm -hmm. I screamed at everybody who would 
pick up the phone. I was furious. I'm like, I just was so mad. This wasn't working. First of all, it was only like eight months in. So I don't know what the hell I was so mad about, but you know, you have these moments Mm -hmm. of where you just lose all sense of reasonableness because it's a lot. This is a lot. This is not what anybody wants to do to have a child. You want to have sex, like bing, bam, boom, I'm pregnant. Nine months later, a kid comes out. If only, my God, Becky. Yeah, like this is not what anyone wants to do. So I had the day where I just was pissed. And I think it was an issue of like someone from the adoption attorney's office called me for money. And I was just pissed. I was pissed. I'm like, why? You want more? Like, not yet. Like, I don't, whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say they weren't doing their job. And I don't mean it in a negative way towards them at all. Right. But it just hit me on the wrong day. Yeah. That's and fair. So, You're allowed to have those moments. <laughs> you know, I'm screaming at everybody. I'm in um, my office and I hang up with one person screaming. And then literally like 30 seconds later, my phone rings and I'm pretty convinced it's someone else from the office calling me to tell me I'm being crazy Mm -hmm. down. And it was our social worker calling to say a woman, and now I'm going to cry. A woman has picked you Mm -hmm. and she's due on November 7th. And I said, wait a minute, this was in September of 2005. Mm-hmm. And I go, wait, second, like S-E-C-O-N-D. And she goes, no, seventh, as in seven, eight, nine. Mm-hmm. And I go, that's my husband's birthday. Oh, wow. This is it. Cool. And it was, and it was, and my daughter was born October 29th. I was actually in the delivery room oh, wow. with her birth mother when she came into this world. And, you know, I have, it is an open adoption. Mm-hmm. We have not seen her in can 15 tell, years. For we people talk, who might not know, can you, can you tell us what that means exactly? Yeah. So an open adoption means everybody knows who everybody is. And we can talk about it a little more if you want mm-hmm. to, but like, it was the scariest piece for me because, you know, I watched the news and I read Lifetime or saw Lifetime movies of the week and read People magazine and you know, I, I was terrified of this woman. Turns out she's just a human being mm-hmm. who was just as terrified of me. Mm-hmm. Um, turns out it is one of the most beautiful relationships in my life. Turns out she's actually coming to New York City in three weeks and we're all seeing each other again. And my daughter will meet her in person for the first time. Wow. Turns for the out first she's time? My, turns out she's my friend. Okay. Turns out we're in this together. You know, and we laugh about it. I'm like, did you ever think we would be friends? She's like, my God, no, they never told me it was possible. And I'm like, (laughs) well, they never told me it was possible, which add to the list of things that no one wants to talk about. Sure. You know, I mean, so these are the things. What harm would that have done to all of us? I mean, I can't imagine my life without this woman. Right. And my daughter has every piece of her puzzle she could possibly imagine. Mm Mm-hmm. How do you like, think the meeting no will more... go? Is how, how's your daughter feeling about it? Is she nervous? Um, we're good. We're good. I mean, it's um, I don't know. I think I'm gonna like hyperventilate, cry the minute I see her. Sure. Um, sure. you know, I mean, this woman, as as I said to her, like every time I talk to her, I'm like, you changed my life. A lot of people think like, well, you adopted the baby. She was in a terrible spot. Like she chose to place the baby. You saved her. Well, I, you know, I, I don't agree with that. Yeah. She saved me. We right. saved each other. And I think that, um, you know, I've been told my kids have a pretty healthy view on being adopted and dealing with it all. And I go, I think it's because we talk about it. I think it's because there's respect, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's, this isn't. You know, I've heard people say terrible things about their children's birth mothers over the years. And I just can't imagine what their kid thinks when they say that, Mm -hmm. you know, no one's perfect, right? We have all made decisions that maybe we're not thrilled with if, if our history got put on display, right? Like, let's be totally, totally honest, but I'm so, I'm so excited to see her and, um, you know, I'm so excited for my daughter to see who she looks like. 
Right. Can you take me right? back to that that day when your daughter was born? And then, you know, there's you could you would know better than me, and we'll get into help us adopt and what you're doing now. But you know, there's that that period of time when the birth mother can still change her mind, correct? Yeah, yeah. Tell so, me, how was that for you? What did that look like for you guys? So it was, so we actually stayed in the hospital. The hospital could not have been nicer to us. We had a hotel room. They had an empty room. The hotel let us cancel without any fees, obviously, because the story was like a storybook. And we stayed in the hospital with the baby. And, um, you know, one thing I do want to backtrack to is just in the delivery room is that I think there's, there's two issues sometimes with moms who adopt. And it's like, I've been asked all the time, like, you know, one of the rude questions I get is, do you wish you'd had your own children? Do you ever wish? Hmm. And what I always try to tell people is that is a horribly worded question. Mm-hmm. I do have my own children. <laughs> Thank right. you very much, says two birth certificates and a right. judge. What you're asking me is, do I wish I was ever pregnant? Do I ever have that moment where I wish I was pregnant? A lot of women love that moment. I I, I was never that woman. Mm-hmm. But I think this is, again, something we have to talk about that no one wants to talk about. But, you know, I think there are some women who really do feel that they missed out on being pregnant. I was not one of them. Yeah. Um, I try to be totally sympathetic to those who are, you know, and I've had, listen, I've had rude people tell me, oh, don't worry. We still think of you as a mom, even though you didn't give birth. Well, oh my God. I, I mean, what is wrong with these people? Yeah. I, I, this is where I lose my filter and I lose my patience. Think about what you're saying to these women. First of all, I don't care what you say to me because I think you're an idiot. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there are other women, and I usually tell people that too. I'm like, I, you know, you are so rude and unkind in the way you are asking me these questions. But there are some women who that will send them hiding in their closet crying for three days. Yeah. And so Triggering. I do speak. I speak up on behalf of those women because while I personally don't care, I I feel that um, it took me nine years to have two babies. So I pretty much feel like I've been through labor 10 times, (laughs) you know, if you want to know the honest truth. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel I'm less of a woman. I don't feel I missed out on an experience. I just got to do it differently. Mm -hmm. Um, but I really wish women would be kinder to each other during this struggle. Absolutely. I really think I really think it is absolutely competitive and it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. It just is bullshit. And yeah. it's the same way, like people, you know, now I'm listen, now I'm 50. I'm go for say it. Go for it. <laughs> I'm so proud of being 50, almost 51. Yeah. But like gone are the days of of really my friends being pregnant, right? But there were times recently, like people didn't want to tell me they were pregnant. They would text me. And that like flew me. The last person that texted me got the wrath of Becky because I'm like, who else did you text? Mm. I'm like, they didn't want to text you because they thought it might be triggering to you. Yeah. Or okay. No, because let's be honest. They thought it was triggering to them. Let's be honest, had nothing to do with me. They didn't want to tell me because they thought it was going to be an uncomfortable moment. And I was like, first of all, I deserve better than that. Second of all, I'm like, my kids were how old when that happened? Probably like 10 and seven. And I was like, do you still think I'm there? Mm. Like, do you really still think I'm there? Right. Yeah. Um, And even if it was back when I was struggling, I deserve better from Mm -hmm. my friends. Mm-hmm. I deserve better. I deserved the uncomfortable phone call because I mattered that much. Right. You know, I don't deserve text. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm raising my children to be uncomfortable or comfortable with the uncomfortable. Always. Yeah, totally. I said, you need to be able to have discussions that no one else has because that is important in life. Yeah. It really is. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, I think some of my friends are going to hire me to like deal with their kids getting their period and sex ed talks because I I'm literally like ready and waiting for the, for the call. Exactly. I don't care people. It's first of all, it's factual. It's all right. factual. Right. No one's asking you for your opinion on this stuff. 
Yeah. No one's exactly. asking you to draw a diagram. People are asking for facts and compassion. And if you can't give them that, keep your mouth closed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, yeah. So can, can you tell me about the second adoption? So the second adoption was a nightmare. <laughs> oh no. What happened? No. Oh my God. The second adoption. So I moved from Pennsylvania to New York city and could not use the same attorney because he's not licensed in New York. Uh, New York has some trickier adoption laws. And so whatever, I'm not going to name names. There's no reason it was whatever it happened. It happened. It taught me so much. It's made me better at my job and understanding how to help other people anticipate what's involved with adoption and all these things. Because let's be honest, I left my first adoption thinking, how hard could this be as long as you have the money to pay for it? Mm-hmm. And the second time I was pretty much handed my head on a platter. Mm-hmm. Um, my second adopt, my first adoption took 10 months from signing the papers with the attorney to holding my daughter in my arms. Okay. This and cost $40,000. My second adoption took two and a half years and cost $63,000. I stopped counting. Okay. So why did it take so long and why was it so much more expensive? <laughs> Because not every adoption professional has the same process. And I didn't know that. There was, you know, I I don't want to get into a mudslinging thing because it was so long ago. But like when I talk to people about adoption, I'm like, you need to know how many families they work with. What exactly at one time? What exactly is their process? What is the timing You know, just to give you a slight example, the place I was working with said 12 to 18 months, which is totally normal. What they didn't tell you up front was that they expected you to take about six months to do your paperwork Mm -hmm. and that the clock would start running at that six month mark. Mm -hmm. Well, they had not met someone like Becky Fawcett before. So (laughs) Becky Fawcett had knew she was adopting again, had started gathering her paperwork because I already knew what was involved because I'd already adopted. And granted, there were some different pieces with New York than Pennsylvania, but like, you know, when they tell you, you need five years of tax returns, that might take a startup person a lot of time. Uh I had them at my fingertips because I was ready, right? Like I I just, I was a different bird. Well, I FedExed the packet of paperwork to them 48 hours after we signed and gave them the deposit check. Uh And they weren't expecting that. I was expecting to move at that pace. Mm -hmm. They were not. Mm -hmm. I had to move at their pace. And then at one point I was told, uh, nothing has been happening because we misplaced your file. Oh my God. Which they told me. Mm -hmm. Uh, hello. I didn't accuse them of that. They told me. So I went ballistic and, you know, so this is the thing. If like, I'm holding your hand adopting, here's the deal also to anybody listening. Number one, I do think I had an extenuating circumstance case, but I do believe it happens more frequently than not. You're the boss Mm -hmm. adoption professionals. And I love them. Can't do what I do without them, Mm -hmm. but they work for you. You hire them. Yes, they are experts. Yes, they are renowned in their field. However, they get paid by you. That Mm -hmm. means they work for you, correct? Mm -hmm. So when an adoption professional tells you, like, don't call us, we'll call you, that's a sign that that's not the right place for you to be. Mm, Yeah, okay. When an adoption professional says, let me walk you through the process, let me make sure you're comfortable with my timing and the process, and it's not always perfect, but that's the kind of person you want to be with. Not someone who tells you when you ask questions of how many families are you working with at one time, tells you, we don't know. Mm -hmm. Bullshit, they know. They didn't want to tell me because the number was bad. Oh, it was low. It was high. Oh, which meant high. Okay. Like you're not going to get personal attention. Yeah. Which meant I I wasn't going to get a baby anytime Mm -hmm. soon. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all these things that I, you know, sort of give advice to is listen, like any 
group of professionals out there, there are some really good people and there's some really bad people. Take any category, take any category. Sure. I'm not being accusatory. You know, it's again, I really only like to deal with facts in my life and I have some facts. (laughs) So, and again, had I adopted, had that been my first adoption, would I have been fine with everything? Maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe I wouldn't have known any better, but what I like to tell people is like, they knew exactly who I was. They knew I already had an adopted child. They knew where I had adopted from. Like they knew everything. So that's on them, quite frankly. So at any rate, now my youngest daughter, um, I was not in the delivery room with her birth mother. This was like the week of Thanksgiving and I couldn't get from New York to Texas. I think I called the airline and like literally I was going to need like another $10,000 to get to Texas. It was ridiculous because what they were charging, it was Thanksgiving. And at first, when the woman gave me these flights, I said, ma'am, I'm so sorry. Did you think I said first class? I don't fly first class. I'm like, I I meant coach. And she was like, ma'am, that is coach. You're calling us the week of Thanksgiving to fly to Texas from New York. Like that's coach. And I was like, I think I started crying and I was like, Oh my God, lady, I've had nine years of trying to have these two babies and Mm -hmm. I don't have $10,000 because I have spent almost $200,000 trying to blah, 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 blah. I mean, I lost it. Mm -hmm. Lost it on the phone with some woman from United. I should have gotten her name. One of my biggest regrets in life is that I did not get that woman's name. Um, She said, hold on, ma'am. Hold on. Hold on. Put me on hold. Came back like five or 10 minutes later, whatever. And she goes, are you willing to fly through Raleigh or Durham? I go, I'm willing to do whatever you can tell me. She Uh goes, all right. I got you tickets on this flight leaving tomorrow or whatever from New York. You're going to have a stopover in Durham or whatever it was. And they're $750 a ticket. And I was like, oh my God, that woman probably just ruined some other family's Thanksgiving. I can't worry about it. I, I'm convinced she bumped someone off the flight or overbooked me or whatever it was. And I got down to Texas a little late. But I got down to Texas. I mean, we really did look at driving, but I had a four-year-old at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, either I fly two days later or I drive through the night for two days. Like, take my pick. So we arrive at the same time. So we decided to fly. Okay. Gotcha. (laughs) And um, yeah, so that was that. And um, it was the funniest thing because I took the um, empty snap and go stroller with the car seat through, I couldn't check it. I, so I took it with me through the airport. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember we were standing in this mammoth line for, for security. And my husband, while he was my rock during IVF, he is not a rock during waiting in a long line at security. (laughs) He's pretty much convinced we're going to miss our flight. And this security guard comes over to say, Oh, what a cute baby. Right. And she looks in and she's like, (laughs) ma'am, Like what? She goes, uh, ma'am, your stroller's empty. <laughs> oh my God. And I go, oh my God, it is because we're on our way to Texas to adopt our daughter. And she goes, for real? And I go, for real. And she goes, you come with me. We had like oh, a police escort. I just got the, the chills. Gate. That's so cool. I mean, I looked at my husband. I'm like, okay, so we're always going to travel with an empty stroller, even when we're 100 years old. (laughs) (laughs) Pro tip, guys. Pro tip. I I Um, know. There's your tip. Oh, my gosh. Wonderful. Um, Well, so, you know, here's the thing. Like, along the way, was the devastating? Did I cry? Did I get angry? Yeah. But there were such magical moments. Like, once I gave in to this was how it was going to work, there were so many magical moments that, like, I get that people who give birth don't get. Mm-hmm. And I always call them like adoption angels along the way that came into my life because of this and were kind and supportive. And like, you know, so it's a different path. Did I give birth? No. Did I have a beautiful, amazing, rememberable experience? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. Someone used to say to me who was in my inner circle, God, it's really shame that your body betrayed you. I'm like, mm. what? God, what? Mm-hmm. Betrayed me? And look, older, wiser, I have a 15-year-old, I have an 11-year-old. 
I have created a nonprofit that quite frankly has really, I'm sorry, has changed the world of adoption and has changed the way people perceive adoption all because I was infertile, couldn't have a baby and decided to do something about it. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about that before we wrap up, Becky, I want to hear about Focus Adopt. You know, Um, tell us what it is. You can have sour grapes or you can keep your mouth shut or you can use it. Either one. So I created this organization in 2007 um, that the basic function of our organization is to help make adoption more affordable for all families. So an average adoption is forty to $50,000 and the average household income in our country is $54,000. Mm-hmm. So do the math. This is a nightmare. Yeah. So I created, I wanted to find an existing adoption grant program. I had no intention of doing this. And the bottom line is the ones that existed and still exist to this day, we are still pretty unique. They, the biggest problem I had out there was the way these organizations defined family. And they defined family as being a white woman married to a white man, worshiping a certain God and adopting a certain way. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people, well, I'm a white woman married to a white man, but I'm not really religious. I wasn't adopting the way they wanted me to adopt. And their whole mission statement pissed me off because that's not the world we live in. What, what, what is that? That is not the world we live in. So I could be no part of a mission statement like that. Mm-hmm. So I, sorry, had to start my own if I wanted to make a difference and change things, which I was fired up. I knew I had the ability to do it. I knew what needed to be done. And the first piece that needed to be done was a mission of family equality, Mm -hmm. period, Right. period. I I tell people, I don't care who you love. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care what you look like. I don't care if you're married or not. And I certainly don't care what God you worship as long as it's not destructive. Mm -hmm. I care that you want to adopt a child. Mm -hmm. The rest will fall into place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we give grants up to $15,000 to help families close the financial gap and bring their kid home. Mm -hmm. And so people apply uh, for these grants. You apply for the grants, everything on our website. It is free to apply. Everything is transparent on helpusadopt.org. You can go check out our application. You can tell a friend who needs it to look at it. And if you don't need financial help, but you love what we do, then you email me and ask how you can get involved because we're in this to help other people become parents. Mm -hmm. Now, the flip side of that is there are millions of children around the globe who don't have a family. Mm -hmm here in our country and around the globe. So the bottom line of what we do is child welfare. We are putting children in positions of loving, permanent family. Mm -hmm. And there's not much that can replace that ever. So it's been a pretty cool venture. So do you work with the adoption agencies or do you work, do birth mothers come to you directly or like, no, so we have, we have absolutely nothing to do with the adoption process. Okay. We do not identify birth parents. We don't do anything like that. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a social worker. I'm just a woman who was pissed off and decided to use that anger for good. (laughs) (laughs) Story of my life, Becky. That's how this whole thing started. Yeah. I mean, that anger has helped to build, um, let's see, we're awarding 21 grants this week. So that brings us to, oh my God, I think 417 plus 21, whatever that is, and probably $3.8 million of 438. Yeah. 438. Wait, 21 just this week? We help to build more than a family a week when you look at our annual totals. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. Okay. So tell um, what what else can you tell us about what you're doing differently than everybody else? So we have no religious component. Some organizations need an interview with your pastor. Mm. I have no comment on that. Some need a significant statement of faith. Again, I don't care if you're religious. I just don't quite frankly see what that has to do with adopting a child. So we don't have any religious component. We welcome all types of families. I, I, I mean, I, I tell people like not just lesbian and gay, but the T in LGBT is welcome. Transgendered families yep. are welcome at our organization. Mm-hmm. Black people, white people, Arab people, Muslim people, yeah, Mexican. I, I, again, 
our doors have been open to everybody since the founding of our organization. So, you know, when, when people were scrambling last year to make their missions more encompassing and inclusive, I was very proud to say our mission didn't need to change. Mm, It's always been this way. Um, We don't care if you're single (laughs) and adopting. Mm -hmm. I don't think you need to be married to be a parent. Mm-hmm. We help single men who are adopting. Mm-hmm. That seems to be a new trend. Not huge numbers, few numbers, but I think it's great when we get those applications. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm all there for it. We don't dictate how you have to adopt. Um, some people only help you. Some grant organizations only help you if you adopt a certain way. And I feel that we are not here to dictate how you build your family. I want you to build the adoptive family you've dreamed of, no matter what that looks like. And then if you need help, we're here. We don't charge an application fee. A lot of organizations do that to raise money. Oh, wow. And I don't think that a $50 application fee, I mean, for some families, that's like their grocery money for the week. Why would I? I'm not taking that from them. Oh my God, I love you. Come on. I'll I'm raise like, the money. You're enough. so speaking my language. This is so yeah, like what I, I mean, how I feel as well. It's crap. Help doesn't come with strings. Now, people will say, help us adopt.org is too good to be true. The only piece of what we do that is too good to be true is that we can't help everybody because mm-hmm. I don't have enough money. Yeah. So that is true. I do right. have to say no to a lot of people who apply to us. And it is something that really kicks me in the gut every time I have to do it. And um, I hope that sounds sincere because it is the truth. If I had $10 million a year to give away, $12 million to give away, $15 million to give away every year, I I would do it. Mm -hmm. And I know someday I will, but right now it's building process. And, um, you know, but that's it. It is a gift. It is not a loan. it's, It's it. And we always encourage our families to be like our spokespeople sort of things and Mm -hmm. to help us get involved and share their stories. But again, if you don't want to, that's not part of the deal. You don't have to. Right. They're not indebted to you for any of that. You don't have to. No. I mean, I I really would like to see this kid that comes home because I, I work 60, 70 hour weeks to do this. So I do feel that I would really like to see your baby picture or kid picture if you're adopting an older (laughs) child. But you don't have to blast it out on social media. But you don't have to blast it out. And I would love to know how your first holiday together or your first birthday celebration is. I I do want to know that because we're part of that. We take it very personally, the work that we do. And like when I get those notes, I remember why I get up every day. Right. You know, and hit the ground running. So it's all good. It's all good. All right. All right. All right. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Becky, so much for sharing your story. Guys, definitely go check out helpusadopt.org. They have a grant program. They've given away tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of grants, which is just amazing. Becky has such a big heart. She really wants to help people. And I love that. So check them out. And also don't forget to check out Fertility Rally. If you are looking for a community to hold your hand as you're going through this shitty, shitty road. Blair, my co-founder and I have been through it. We are here to help you. We've got so many support groups. We've got tons of content on our website. We've got Facebook groups. We've got all the things. And we just want you to know that you are not alone. So check us out on Instagram at Fertility Rally. You can check out our website, fertilityrally.com. We are here to answer any questions. So my DMs are open at Fertility Rally or at Infertile Stories. Thanks so much. Talk to you next time.